Hello, everyone. This is John Montoya. And this is John Parings. We are Infinite Banking Authorized Practitioners and hosts of the fifth edition. Episode 62, IBC is not an investment. Well, thank you for joining us on today's episode. Uh, We're going to cover five main bullet points today. Uh, First, it's a contract, not an investment. Secondly, uh, this is a financial system to replace the one that you already know. We're going to talk about mindset. That's our third bullet point. Uh, Number four, we're going to talk about building on bedrock, not on sand. And then our last bullet point that we're going to cover in today's episode, we're going to talk about the moral case. But John, let's get into this. IBC is not an investment. Let's talk about how this is not this this is not an investment, right? It's a contract. Yeah, and um, you know you can hear this discussion that takes place like anytime you're really talking about this, especially with people who are a little newer to the to the idea of IBC, um, because you know really everything that we're taught in the financial world is really based around investments and rates of return. And what we're doing here is we're, we're building a contractual, we're building contractual wealth as opposed to statement wealth. So like with an investment, you get a statement every quarter or every year, whatever it is. And it has some numbers on a piece of paper that um, don't really mean anything until you actually sell and you kind of get what you get at that point. Whereas with whole life insurance, uh, we call it contractual wealth because all the numbers in the guaranteed ledger are guaranteed to happen by the insurance company, uh, assuming you pay all the premiums like you're supposed to. So um, the when we talk about IBC, you know, you'll hear people kind of slip into that investment mindset. We're like, how much? How much should I invest in this? And so we have to reset our thinking a little bit and understand that what we're doing is we're Uh, We're saving. We're not investing. We're um, creating a store for our capital, which then is redeployed to then invest um, after we've capitalized. Yeah, absolutely. I I think this idea of thinking of life insurance and IBC as an investment is probably one of the bigger hurdles that people need to overcome when trying to understand how IBC really works, yeah. because at the end of the day, we, you know, we, we have to go out on the risk spectrum to stay ahead of inflation. And so we're constantly on that treadmill to chase rate of return. And so we, we tend to conflate everything as an investment. And to your point, uh, I agree with you. Um, you know, th- this is, this is, a savings type of vehicle. We have to have that, that discipline to, to save money. And we, we really have to separate that from all other investments and even that mindset of chasing rate of return. Because one of the things that Nelson really tried to emphasize was the fact that if we take a look at what's going out the window um, and compare that to the rate of return that we're trying to obtain on our investments, you, you'll actually recognize that there's way more money going out in expenses, interest expenses, um, than what we're actually earning 
on our money. And so what we really have to focus in on is establishing one, the savings discipline, but also building a foundation of savings that, you know, can, can be there when you need it. And for that reason, you know, we're, we're utilizing a contract, the guarantee that what we want to have happen will happen. And because there's a death benefit attached to this very special type of contract, um, what you want to have happen is guaranteed to happen, even if you're not around to see it. Now, I know most people who uh, come into IBC, they're they're not really concerned about the death benefit so much, but the death benefit's really crucial. It's what separates this from really any other place that you can park money. The death benefit, you know, in in some uh, circles, you think of it as kind of a the you know the icing on on the cake, the cherry on top. Um, but it, it's what makes this contract have all these incredible benefits that really won't. Uh, um, this contract won't compare to any other investment out there. Uh, but you have to realize what you're doing is uh, isolating money that you're putting away for future use that is going into a contract that's guaranteed to perform. Um, and if we can just really uh, wrap this note up, um, understand this about an investment. Anytime you make an investment, you are going out on the risk spectrum and you have no control over how that investment is going to perform. With this contract, you get a blueprint every year for the rest of your life that minimally your cash value will step up in value the following year. Therefore, it's not an investment. When you have something that's spelled out all the way out to the rest of your life or age 121, it is not an investment. This is a... This is a guaranteed contract and you're transferring the risk over to the life insurance company and they're going to guarantee you that this policy will perform because it's a whole life policy every single year for the rest of your life. So it's a contract, not an investment. And really important that you as a listener distinguish that and make this part of everything that you're trying to do because uh, within, I just say uh, for 99% of people, there there should be a portfolio, a portion of their portfolio where there's a cash element, right? Because we, we always need access to cash in some way, shape, or form at any point in life. Um, if you're 100% all invested, then I'll just say you're doing it wrong. Absolutely. And it's it's also putting cart before the horse, you know, I see so many people, by the way, this was me, you know, this is one of the reasons I got into this business because I had to learn about this where, you know, you go into your first job and they put your 401k benefits paperwork in front of you and you think you're saving when really you're investing and you're putting all that money and locking it away for 30 years. And then, you know, a downturn like 2000 or 2008 comes around and you have to liquidate all that money. And you're, you're essentially starting over. Well, the same thing can happen with IBC. You know, if you, you know, put the cart before the horse, you start, you know, borrowing money against the policy to invest first before you have a savings built up. You know, one thing happens and the whole thing comes tumbling down. And um, so we're, what we're doing here is creating uh, a place to capitalize first. And we create an emergency fund and then an opportunity fund over and above that. 
But I, um, I really like what you said about, uh, money going out and what you're, what you're talking about leads us right into point two, where we're creating a financial system to replace the one that you are, that we already have. And you were alluding to paying interest. And one of the things in the book is, um, you know, the studies say 35 cents of every dollar that comes into our life leaves to just to service debt. That doesn't even include our taxes or anything like that. And so what we see is, you know, when you add up um, the debt service, the taxes that you pay, and then your lifestyle, people really aren't saving that much money. And this is true for someone making $25,000 a year. And it's true for someone making a million dollars a year. I see it across the board where the the savings rate is really just not where it should be. Um, and we see that expenses track our income as our income goes up. Parkinson's law dictates that our expenses track right along with it at typically the same rate. And so what we want to do is we want to pay more attention to that and redirect that interest that's leaving our life. So when we service that 35% of debt service using IBC, couldn't that couldn't some or all of that be redirected back towards our financial system so that it's working in our favor rather than just going out to someone else's financial system and that's one of the cruxes of IBC yep absolutely so the the financial system that we all know and use is the traditional banking system right the, these banks you know they they have the the most coveted real estate typically in every town you drive through, right? You, you drive through downtown and how many, you know, bank buildings do you see, right? We're, we're all financing their real estate portfolio, all these banks, you know, and all the fountains that they have, you know, in front of their buildings, you know, we're, we're all financing that for them because we're directing our outflow through a, a banking system that we don't own and we don't control. So we want to replace that traditional financial system with one that we do own and control. And we can accomplish that through a whole life contract because when it gets right down to it, you know, you have to ask yourself, why do we go to a, the bank in the first place? Now, the, the most common answer you might think is, well, because that's where I deposit my, my paycheck. You know, I need to pay my bills, checking account. Well, that's really a way for the bank to collect deposits so that they can then use those deposits to uh, create loans. And it's this lending business, really, that traditionally uh, banks have made the, the majority of their profits. They're in the business to lend us money and charge us interest for that money. And so if we can eliminate the middleman, which is the traditional banking system, by uh, reorganizing how we capitalize our wealth, instead of passing our money through a traditional banking system that we don't own and control, instead redirect that money into a whole life contract that we do uh, take ownership and control over, well, what's going to happen? We're going to start to redirect wealth and recirculate it within our own private economy. So that's what we're talking about here. Uh, when we talk about replacing the financial system that you already know with one that, well, as of right now, maybe you don't know, but it's existing and maybe hiding in plain sight, but it's been around for over a hundred plus years. And it's these whole life policies that allow you this banking function that for most people, 
they tend to look at these life insurance policies and all they see is the death benefit. Or maybe they think of it as a cost, like, the, you know, I'm paying this premium and this is just, you know, out of pocket cost and I get no benefit from it. Well, you're not seeing um, the, the forest through the trees because if you actually look at what you can do with a whole life contract, you'll realize that you can replicate this traditional banking system through your whole life policies. And I'll just add one final point to that. You know, not only is the, the are the banks in the business of lending to us, but they're in the business of trading the the paper on those loans and making even more money on on everything that we're doing for them. And we can, just like John Montoya just said, we can replicate all of that stuff. And so it doesn't just stop with you know buying cars, right? There's what we want to do is create an entire financial system that's all working to the benefit of what we want to do. So that leads us to our third point, which is mindset and taking ownership of your life and your finances. And one of the most important things, and this is probably what, uh, what Nelson really always led off with is, is the most important thing is, is how you think and how you think determines everything. And the way that I think of, of whole life and IBC um, it, it's really with a, a business owner mindset because with a business owner mindset, you, you start to look at your cash position in a completely different way than you, you probably have ever thought of it. That's and right. the, the analogy that I tend to think of and, and use most often when I'm in a client presentation, I'll talk about how uh, people who have a W-2, you know, salary type position, they contribute to their 401ks. And the mindset with the 401k is that you set it, forget it. You know, you, you make those contributions maybe all the way up to the max and you let it sit there for, depending on your age, 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years, and then even longer into retirement. And it, it's this set it, forget it mindset where you know that you're putting that money away, but because of the restrictions involved with a, with a 401k and an IRA, you really can't touch it with, uh, without, you know, penalties or taxes, um, you know, save for uh, a nominal amount. I think it's like $50,000, uh, which mm-hmm. then you have to pay back within five years or pay taxes and penalties on it. Um, but th- this sets up this mindset that, you know, you, you don't really have, uh, control over that money. So therefore it just gets pushed further and further in the back of your mind. Um, and this puts you in a position where, you know, if an opportunity comes your way, you have to let it pass because you don't have access to your own money or life throws you a curveball, and you're stuck because, well, you can't get access to, you know, much more than 50,000 of your own money. Um, and you know, what, what happens in that position? Well, you got to go to a bank. You got to go borrow someone else's money and pay them interest so that they can, you know, buy their real estate and pay for their fountains. When, if you had set up, you know, a whole life policy and taken that business owner mindset to control your, your, your capital and your cash flow, well, you would give yourself so many more options in life that you otherwise, you know, won't have if you have that employee mindset. So, um, you know, IBC is not an investment, but if you, if you have IBC working for you, you, what you're going to start to realize is that you're going to 
uh, take this business owner mindset and you're going to apply it in your life to create opportunities and abundance for yourself that you can't find in a 401k or IRA. You know, there's nothing like the feeling of having some control over what you're doing. I've told my origin story, if you will, on, you know, several times on this podcast. And, you know, one of the problems was I was really not very good with money. And I remember um, creating my first budget and kind of like figuring out what was going on with all my money. And I remember like the problem was not solved, but just knowing what was going on and now having some control over what the next steps would be um, was so liberating to me. And that's really the, you know, if I, if I think back on it, like I, I really had, my mindset was way off on money before I, because I just never felt like I had enough to really, you know, do anything special with. But what, what I realized was that if I actually have control and I take ownership and responsibility for my money, um, all these things open up. And then, you know, when I met John Montoya and we, I started my first IBC policy all those years ago, all of a sudden that, that was one step in the solution where, you know, all kinds of things started happening. Like uh, the control, I was killing a bunch of birds with one stone on the financial side and uh, it really just made all the difference. And so I'll just quote John Montoya, you know, he said it on this uh, podcast many times, you know, the, the business owner mindset when we're, when we're implementing infinite banking, we're starting a business and, but it's a business that's guaranteed to succeed. So he alluded to it earlier, you know, when we talked about the guaranteed side of these, of this contractual wealth, well, it's really kind of a business that is guaranteed to work out. So what else can you get into? You know, if you're like me, you know, I was an employee for a long time, um, was lucky to be in kind of the startup side of things. So it felt like, um, you know, I was a little bit entrepreneurial, but really I was an employee and, almost all the employees I talk to always have this little bit of a dream to kind of do their own thing. And by the way, there is absolutely nothing wrong with being an employee, but you, you can also do some other things where you can, you know, people talk about side hustles, all these other things. How about just getting into the banking business and starting your own financial system that you own and control? What if you started there? Super easy. You don't even have to have an idea. It's already done for you. Um, all you have to do is start taking uh, ownership and being a better steward of your money by um, starting the, in the business of quote unquote banking. And that's what we're doing here with IBC. Yeah. Nelson said it himself. You know, there, there's two businesses that you should be in the, the business that you're currently in where you earn your primary income. And then the second business is banking. And yeah, what, what business that you can start gives you the ability with 100% certainty that you'll turn a profit. Because this is a contract, you have that that uh, blueprint that this business is going to turn a profit. In fact, uh, in in the book, Becoming Your Own Banker, towards the end, there's, um, there's a list of of sayings that Nelson has. And, and one of them is, uh, if I can paraphrase, you know, if, if you knew that you could put every dollar of this or every dollar that you put into this, you would get out at passive income time tax-free, how much would you want to put in there, right? This is a contract that's guaranteed to get better and better. Um, if you think of it as a business, right? Because this is a business that you're going to use to finance your life with, 
and it's guaranteed to, you know, turn a profit, you'd have to be crazy not to get started. You know, another way to say what you just said is like, what if every, if you had a place to put money where every dollar that you paid in premium created more than $1 of new cash value, and that was, you know, had the liquidity of a cash asset, which is, which it is, man, how much further could you go? You know, where else can you get that? And, uh, and I would say nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Cause easy, there's nowhere else you can go to get that contractual guarantee. That's, right. that, that's why this needs to be part of an overall plan. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on to bullet point number four, which is building on bedrock, not on sand. Uh, John, you want to touch on this? Yeah. And it, it gets, it gets to the back to the contractual wealth side. And so really what we're talking about here is why IBC requires whole life, not some of the other uh, insurance products out there that have non-guaranteed elements that can affect what's going to happen in the future. And so we, um, you know, in, in the book, he says, you can, you can perform infinite banking with anything. It doesn't have to be whole life insurance. It could be a savings account. It could be a, a stock, uh, stock portfolio that you borrow on margin. <laughs> you know, by the way, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. I definitely would not advise doing that, but it, it could be anything. It could be IUL, it could be VUL. It could be, um, your, uh, your, um, your uh, home equity line of credit, right? However, all of those things, none of those things other than whole life really has the bedrock guarantees and guaranteed growth uh, that whole life has. And so we want, when we're talking about where we're going to store our cash, we don't want to put it anywhere where we can lose or where it can be pulled from us. So in the case of a margin loan or a line of credit, right? So we don't want to have any kind of situations where we have our capital deployed and then all of a sudden the capital is in the control of the financial institution, not you. And they pull the rug right out from under us and you end up in a situation where you either got to put a bunch of capital into a bunch of more capital into it, or you're going to have to liquidate. So, um, that's kind of, I think where you're going with this, John, where we're building on bedrock, not sand. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree with everything that you said. And I'll add this to, to what you just shared and having a portion of your money that is certain it's built on bedrock, the peace of mind that it allows you it's, I mean, it, it's really life-changing. Um, so if you've listened to episode 55, um, it, it's, it's my wife discussing, um, her, her journey with, uh, stage four breast cancer. And I can tell you that it, it has completely just changed things dramatically, um, w- within our lives. But the one thing that allows me to sleep at night is to know financially we're taken care of and we've got the liquidity to, you know, pay for this out of pocket care that we otherwise wouldn't have available. Um, we'd be reliant on our health insurance and the treatments that only the, the health insurance, uh, you know, covered, which we, I mean, it it would be a, a quality of life that, um, would be diminishing rates of return. Um, so the, the peace of mind, um, aspect of it, 
because we have certainty, we, we have this bedrock of liquidity that we can access for any reason. You know, we tend to think of this on um, the show, you know, IBC is not an investment where we tend to think about the investments that we could make because we can use IBC as an opportunity fund. But don't forget too, um, th- this is really a, a financial bunker that allows you to tackle all the curveballs in life that come your way unexpectedly. And so uh, I'll just add that to the bedrock. It's, it's the peace of mind aspect that you can't put a price on. Man, it's uh, that hits home. And um, it's so true. You know, when we talk about an investment, so you mentioned that we think of investments with IBC of, you know, uh, capitalizing and then investing with that capital. But the, the whole life insurance itself is not an investment. With an investment, you get what you get. You invest it in and you get what you get. Whole life insurance is such a different asset class because it, just like John was saying, it gives you so many options. Like, you know, when you, when you invest in something, um, I like to call it calculating the, the value of the investment using the vulgar rate of return, which is just, you know, that's what everybody looks at these days. Well, how do you calculate in um, the rate of return? How do you account for what John Montoya and Kelly have been going through? for their health? How do you calculate that into your rate of return? How do you calculate into your rate of return the divorce that you went through? How do you calculate into your rate of return um, a special needs child, right? How do you calculate into, into your rate of return, you know, the loss of your income from a disability, for example? Or how do you calculate into your rate of return the opportunities that you that come your way that no... Um, that no investment uh, or brokerage house can bring to you the individual opportunities that come to you just because you're who you are and you where and you're and you are where you are. Um, you know how do you calculate into your rate of return the ability to start a new business because you have capital? So there's these kind of you know curveballs, and then there are the you know fast pitches that we can hit out of the park, and none of that you can put on a piece of paper as a rate of return, and so that's one of the reasons you know, I think on this bedrock, um, bullet point here that I, that I, I would like to drive home that, uh, so much more can happen when you're, when you're capitalized in this way. I'll add one more. How, how do you calculate the rate of return on money? You'll never see again for all the people who are sitting in cash and want to pay cash for everything. Yes. You give up the opportunity to earn interest on that money when you pay cash and one of the beauties forever. of yeah forever uh, and one of the beauties of this whole life policy and the banking function within it you get to borrow against your cash value as collateral and ultimately the the death benefit you, you get to keep your money growing uninterrupted even when you use it someplace else that's right you can't do that with cash that's right well the last point we have on here is is the moral case for using whole life insurance. And, you know, I guess I would argue that everything we just talked about already is kind of the moral case and it, it yeah. ties directly into what we're about to talk about now. But it's like, do you have a family to protect? You know, like what, what are you doing all this for? Um, if everything you're doing right now needs to be consumed today by your family, if something happens to you. Right. So a lot of people will be like, I don't need life insurance because I've got all this money. It's like, okay, 
yeah, you're right. You, you do have all this money that will have to be consumed today by your family because you're no longer there bringing in an income. Right. And so all of that money, um, is not going to do what it was originally meant to do. Like everybody has a plan. Your plan's not going to work out if, uh, if something happens to you and you can't replace that income. Um, and so, you know, thinking about our families, I just can't think of a better, you know, so by the way, um, I've never had, um, a death benefit claim from any of my clients, Mm -hmm. but I know a lot of people who have, and one of the, one of the top things that they tell me about in the groups that I'm affiliated with is that when they've delivered a death claim to a loved one, not a single one of them asked about the rate of return on their cash value. So, you know, there's, great power in the death benefit and being able to um, allow your family to continue doing what they were originally t- intending to do without having to change their lifestyle. You you mentioned something there, delivering a claim, and that really hits home for me this week because I had a phone call um, that came in from the spouse of a client that I'd been working with for eight years. I uh, started working with him in 2015. And I really only talked to the husband and set up three policies for him, uh, two whole life and a convertible term. And I got a call this week from his wife and returned the call. And turns out uh, he passed away this this past Sunday. Um, father, three kids. I'm going to be 47 in a month. I've lost four clients in the past two years, all of them younger than me. The last two clients that I lost, father of three kids wow. and younger than me. And it, man, it's tough. This is the toughest part of our job. Yeah. You get to know someone and man, it hits home. They become it's, your friends. Especially for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, being a father of three kids and everything that I'm going through, and I'm talking to the spouse. She's crushed. Yeah. But Unreal. That's, that's what these policies are ultimately here for. You know, we, we have a policy um, or an episode that we did talking about future planning and, and why, you know, you, you know, you should be thinking about having a convertible term. Well, this client listened to me. He had that convertible term. He hadn't um, converted it yet. He hadn't exercised it yet. But it was there because it also provided additional death benefit. Yes. Family was taken care of. So, you know, I, I mentioned you may not, you know, think about IBC for the death benefit. It, it's the icing on the cake. It's the cherry on top. But if you really value it, um, it, it really checks off a number of boxes, especially for the, for the people who are married, married with kids. I don't know how you can go without. There's nothing I can even add to that, John. And, um, man, I, you know, I'm sorry to hear. And, uh, that's tough. And I'm, I'm just glad that, you know, of all the things that, you know, that family's now concerned about, at least their finances are in order. And, um, you know, I don't know when I say it, it sounds callous, but it's like, it's true. And, uh, you know, it can't be any better. You know what I mean? Um, so, 
Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, that's, you know, obviously emotional and I'm definitely not looking forward to that. Um, but I'm glad at least he had you in your life to, uh, to help him get where he needed to be for his family. Yeah. And I, I am, I, I can say is that I'm grateful that he listened to me and he listened to the recommendations that I made and he went through and, um, you know, he did the additional policies. He did that additional convertible term. Um, and you know, I, I feel for the family, but I am just grateful that at least for this family, they're going to be taken care of. I think that's a great place to wind this episode up. Um, you know, really appreciate, you know, I know that was probably tough to, to say on the, on the podcast here, but if, um, if you're out there and kind of listening and, um, you want to understand a little bit better how some of the things we're talking about can apply specifically in your life, you know, hit, hit us up at the fifth edition.com, look us up and, and reach out and, uh, we can set up a no obligation, 30 minute free 30 minute meeting, talk about you. Um, the other option of course, is if you like to just do all the research yourself before talking to anyone, we have a, an online course that's recently been updated and put on a new platform. And, um, we have a 50% discount there right on the front of uh, the fifth edition.com. All right, John, I think that wraps it up. Thank you. All right. Thanks, John.